do, I also wanted to introduce Pastor Dave Carlson to you. Uh, pastor Dave is the lead pastor at Neighborhood Bible Church in San Jose, and he's also the co-founder of Foster the City. Foster the City, you've heard us say many times before, is an organization that we care deeply about. You'll hear us say it again today. Uh, we're super grateful for you, Pastor Dave. Um, and yeah, without further ado, here's Pastor Dave. Well, good morning. <clears throat> it's good to be with you guys. Um, David wanted to replace uh, the preacher this morning with another David. So he called me, and it worked out that I'm here. Although if you call me David, it'll make me a tiny bit nervous, because that's what my mom calls me when I'm in trouble. <laughs> I go more by Dave, so um, it's good to be here with you guys. Listen, I want you to look at this screen. Anyone ever try uh, one of these before? It's called a slack line. Raise your hand if you've actually tried one of these before. Anyone? Okay. All right. We've got some slack liners out there. Um, these look really fun and doable until you're on the line, right? And then once you're up there, you're like, oh, wow, this is harder than it looks. And it can get wobbly really quickly. Uh, I was thinking about a slack line that in some ways the slack line is like family. It's like doing family. Um, that you see someone's post on Instagram about getting married, you're like, oh, marriage looks really fun. Or having a new baby, you're like, oh, wouldn't that be so fun? And you're like, yeah, it is fun, but it also gets wobbly really, really quickly, right? Um, <clears throat> we're talking family today, um, and one of the things as David and I talked, I kind of gave him a few different options. This came together very, very quickly. He called me and said, um, you know, hey, could you fill in? It just worked out perfectly that I was able to be here. And so I said, sure, I'd love to. Um, so we're, we're really thrilled to be here with you guys. Uh, and as we talked, he said, you know, uh, man, I'd, I'd love for you guys to talk to you, Dave, to talk to our community about parenting and about family, just because you're a little bit further down the road. He was saying I was old, is what he was saying. Um, and, uh, and so I'm going to kind of bring some of that uh, perspective uh, this morning. Um, <clears throat> it's a topic near and dear to my heart. Um, a, because what God is doing, if you read the Bible cover to cover, what God is doing is he is creating a brand new family from all the families of the earth. That's really the giant narrative of the scriptures. Um, I've got my family is more than blood shirt on today. This was one of my favorite Christmas gifts from about five years ago. A family in our church um, handed us a package. Uh, we got shirts in all the different sizes for everyone in our family. And it was the last present we opened. It was under the tree and we opened this. And I thought, man, I just, I love the message of that. Um, it's, a, it's a picture of actually what we are right here. Driving out here this morning from South San Jose. I'm sitting with a couple of my kids just saying, isn't it cool that here's a community of our siblings, our spiritual siblings are out here doing this every Sunday, and we're down in South San Jose right now, there's a service going on right now, um, and, and we're, we're, we're spiritual family, and we're just being God's people and doing God's work in different parts of the city, so it's, it's just an amazing thing. But when you take about, um, one of the things, we, we're in the book of 1 Timothy right now. I understand you're in Ephesians. Um, we typically go through books of the Bible. And right now we're looking at 1 Timothy. And one of the messages that's coming out of 1 Timothy to us is this. That your church life feeds your home life. And your home life feeds your church life. In other words, there are things going on here as a community at church <clears throat> that you ought to take and bring it into your home life. And there are things that God is teaching you and nurturing and growing you in your home life that ought to come and actually feed and give vibrancy here to your, uh, to your church life. You know, when family is good, it's really good, isn't it? 
So much good gets nurtured in the home by God's design and then actually is intended and designed to spill outside of the home and be a blessing to the community. Conversely, when family is bad, it's really bad. Not only are domestic dispute calls the scariest ones for our city's police officers to respond to, uh, they also are the, 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 the calls, they are the reasons that sort of sends like little, little shockwave ripples through the soul that actually can carry on for generations. So we're talking about family today uh, because so much is at stake. In fact, when we think about family, let me show you a different picture. This is a more apt picture um, of what actually is at stake with family. Now, to give you a little bit of perspective, let, look at this next shot. This person is walking across the Grand Canyon. He did this on live television a few years ago. What is at stake for parents, for marriages, for kids in the homes, for families? A lot. <clears throat> Go back to this next picture. When stakes are low, it's okay to be sloppy. It's okay to lose your focus because you're just kind of a step away from catching it and it's all good. But as the stakes go up, your interest level goes up, your heart rate level goes up. I'm here today, here's my heart today. My heart is to stir you to think soberly and remain alert and awake to your relationships, primarily in your home. And I recognize there are some, I have a couple of daughters here who are, who are in preparation mode for some of this. Others of you might be on the very other end of the extreme of some of this, and you could be up here teaching parenting stuff to me, and I'd be in the front row taking notes, I promise you. I have a sense that your great-grandchildren, whoever they are, are pleading with you right now, hey, listen up, lean into this message. Lean into what God might say to think soberly and alertly about the family. You know, God has paved a way. Let me show you this next slide. This is going to be sort of our, uh, our, our title image for the morning. <clears throat> you know, we, we trust him with our salvation. Um, we also can trust him with our family. And that's a really deeply compelling message. In fact, when you see that picture of the Grand Canyon, and some of you are maybe right there right now, and you feel like this is really scary and a lot's on the line, I'm here to tell you that God has your family, and you can trust him with, with your family. Um, if you're taking notes, um, I want you to, or you can even draw this on your little Connect card. Sorry to repurpose the Connect card if, if that bothers anyone, but you can't do anything with me. I've got the mic. Um, I want you to think about your family right now. If you're a parent, I want you to think about your parenting. If you're a spouse, I want you to think what your marriage is like right now. And I want you to draw a picture of what you look like, okay? Now, I've given you a couple of examples, and I've lowered the bar. So anyone can play at this, right? We're not talking like artists, so you think you can draw kind of a thing. This is just draw, you know, uh, what, what you're thinking right now. So just take a moment, and if you don't do it physically, you can sort of, you can sort of visually think, what would I draw? What would my picture be? I'm wrapping up some pre-marriage counseling this week. I'm doing a wedding in a, in a few weeks. And, uh, you know, one of the things about relationships is relationships are great, but relationships are hard. And we say this all the time in our home. We say, hey, do the hard work of getting along. Uh, we went on a hike yesterday, and some of our family loves hiking. Some of our family hates hiking until we're hiking. Then they're okay with hiking. So we're out hiking through the redwoods, and we, to some of them, we have to say, hey, we're going on a short walk 
outside. And they go, we're going hiking, huh? I'm like, yeah, we are. So we go off hiking and there's peaks and valleys to the day. I mean, honestly, like we just had an incredible time, but then there were times that weren't incredible. And sometimes we just have to say like, just, let's just do the hard work of getting along, you guys. Um, and and, we, and we, we, we lean into that. You know, communication is a huge learning curve for any new couple. Uh, look at this next slide. There's, there's actually new data coming in all the time that is really, really helpful for, uh, for, for, for couples. And I um, commend this to you. <laughs> Think about parenting. Not only is communication between relationships hard, um, commu- uh, parenting is really, really challenging. Uh, just the sheer amount of energy keeping your own children safe is, is vast. Um, what do you guys call this in your home? Show, show that next, next picture. Anyone call it a binky? Passy, pacifier. What, what, what is it called right now? Pacifier. Okay, you guys are very literal. It's a pacifier. Uh, people have weird names for this, but here's what went on in our home. Uh, the first kid, when this thing pops out of the mouth, um, that thing is immediately either thrown away or sterilized like you wouldn't believe replaced with a spare, right? It goes back in clean, fresh, all good. Uh, The second one, mom or dad picks it up, sucks it themselves and pops it back in, right? By the third kid, you actually realize that it helps your child's immune system to suck on some bad things. So you just pop it back in. If you have four kids, what does the fourth kid do? He goes and gets it himself. Like no one, there's no help coming. So if he wants that thing, he's going to squirm down and go and get it. Um, If you have a fifth child, what happens then is an older sibling is taking that thing, dipping it in gross stuff and shoving it in your kid's mouth. Um, If you have a sixth child, they don't get one. And if you're like me, child number seven, eight, and nine aren't even mentioned in my notes. So, so it changes over time, right? I think we're better parents to our younger kids in some ways. And in some ways, you know, we're just tired and, and they just don't, don't even get it. Um, you know, we have lots of kids. And, uh, and so sometimes people think, well, tell us the wisdom you have. Lots of kids doesn't qualify you as experts. It just, it just qualifies you as tired. Um, our, our family story is this. My, my wife dreamt of having 10 kids uh, when she was in junior high. And I sort of married into that. Uh, we, had, we wanted to have one biologically of a boy and a girl and then start looking into adoption, international adoption. So we had two boys and a girl. Um, and then we were in the process of adopting through the country of Georgia, former Russian state, because that's where the need was the highest. And partway into that process, the country shut its doors to international adoption due to corruption and just due to all kinds of crazy and we had a surprise fourth pregnancy. So within a span of two weeks, we went from thinking we were adopting um, our fourth child to having a fourth biological child. Uh, after that, we adopted Cassie. Cassie's sitting here in the second row. Um, she was two, she's from China. Uh, and then a few years later, we adopted a little boy and a little girl uh, two months apart from Ethiopia. And then a few years, fast forward from that, uh, we adopted another little boy and little girl from China. So if you're doing the math, that's nine kids. I brought one third of our kids with us today because that seemed like a good um, number to bring. The truth is, um, we just kept making mistakes with kids. So we're like, let's let's have another one. (laughs) Let's see if we can get this one right. Um, No, not not really. Um, So God-loving family, go back to that slide for a second. 
Um, what I want you to see with this is this. Show this next slide. That, that God-loving family, this title uh, is actually sort of a, a, a double ring. That the love goes both ways, from heaven to earth and earth to heaven. And that what I want you to see is this. There's some small words in red at the bottom uh, that just quite simply says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Today is about growing in what it looks like to be a, a God-loving family. I think you're here on a Sunday morning, gorgeous Sunday morning, um, because you're a God-loving family. You want to love God. But what I want to say to you is, and we, and we just sang it. Thank you, Chris and the team. We just sang this. This is so, so compelling. That we are loved. God loves your family. God loves your family. So when you fail to love your family well, not if, when, right? When you fail to love your family, recognize that God loves your family. In all the brokenness and beauty that's going on right now in your family, no matter what your stick figure drawing is, God loves your family. And in that love, he's providing for your family. That means there's hope for every single family story that's going on right now. And we're going to get into the fact that it's not all fairy tale. So sitting with this idea that God loves my family first, more, and better than I ever will, super deeply releasing. It's just, it's comforting. As a pastor, I say all the time, God, these are your people. These are your sheep. You're the one who loves and provides and cares for this church. That's true of this church. Okay. Good. It's not all on me. Now, with that in mind, I can rest in that. Now I can get after the good work God has for me in this. God has a giant role for you to play. But resting in that is massive. Look at all the red hearts connecting these different families. I want you to see all that love, all that connection that goes on between family is tied down to that, those red words at the bottom that we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. It begins and initiates and starts and sustains with God's love. And if we get away from that, it gets all kinds of bad. When you look at the different types of families, I want you to see in this image that families come in all shapes and sizes. There's lots of variety sitting in front of me right now. Some of you have no kids. Some of you got the bulk pack from Costco. Some of you have 2.5 kids and the white picket fence. I don't know how you did that, but you've pulled it off. Some of you are infertile, trying to have kids. Some of you are growing your family through kinship adoption, through foster care, through adoption. Your families are labeled intact, blended, broken. Many of you would love to give a more accurate biblical picture, calling your family restored, forgiven, mended, repaired. <clears throat> Family is a gift from God. He designed it. He gifts it to you. He provides for family, he disciplines family, he restores, enables the family. Go back to the next picture. Take a look at the fact that this is a tree. I want you to ponder for a second. How do you grow a tree? How do you personally grow a tree? Well, you think about it. You plant, you water, you protect it, you tend to it, but then you marvel at the growth that occurs 
and you give glory to all these parts, all these things going on that you have absolutely nothing to do with. You know, you grow a family in much the same way. People regularly say, nine kids, how did you nine kids? I say, well, first of all, they didn't come all at once, right? Like people immediately like think, wow, they all came at once. They didn't come at once. They came a little bit at a time until the end, then they started coming quicker. Um, but what happened is God, God grew us as he was growing our family. So he grew muscle. He grew, he grew the, the fruit of the spirit in our home. And so he slowly sustained that over time. Beyond that, he grew our community. A regularly witnessing opportunity I have is to go around and talk to people. They say, you're, you have nine kids. You live in the Silicon Valley. Your wife doesn't work outside the home. You're not one of those televangelists ripping people off. How do you do it? And I say, well, God, God loves my family. And every time I write my rent check, that's way under market value to live in the Silicon Valley on my income, I praise God. I say, God, you're just providing for me to be here. I can't believe this. This is too amazing. So I get to brag on the broader church community, the church family that God has given us to sustain our family. Take a close look at this paper. You probably can't see it here, but the paper that this is on is all crinkled up. You know what that's to signify? It's to signify this. There are no perfect families, period. We tend to idealize and idolize uh, families. Go to that next slide. This is what we do. Social media does this a lot, right? We sort of take our little fixtures, our little family, and we put up the best parts, we curate, so we kind of shape it to make it look a certain way. And then what happens is we tend to idealize and idolize the family. And again, when that crumbles, I get to see the dark back underbelly of families as a pastor. Got a call yesterday. You just wouldn't believe the calls pastors get. And what's fascinating is many, many times before a family is about to implode, you watch their social media feed for the previous six months. Does it look great or does it look terrible? It looks amazing. It's almost like they're grasping at if we can just project what we wish were true, this whole thing will hold together. And it's a sham and a lie. Here's great comfort for you. Read your Bible. Read your Bible and realize God is fathering an imperfect family. God is fathering an imperfect family. I hope you know the power of a do-over. We have tons of do-overs in our household. One of the do-overs we have regularly is this. I have two daughters here that regularly don't need this do-over. But let's say sweet Kaya is sitting here and she says, Dad, da-da-da-da, and she says some demanding thing of me. And I say, do you want to have a do-over? And she goes, yep, I do. I might just say, hey, once more with respect. And she'll go, okay. And we get to just go, like back it up. And she gets to try it again with respect and go, absolutely, let's do that. You know who else needs do-overs? Me. There are times I will say something to one of my kids and I'll say, you know what? I need a do-over. Let me try that again with respect. <laughs> so I will. I'll back it up and we'll try it again. The crinkled paper is this. God has given you a perfect design for your family. Did you know that? A perfect design for your family exists. A perfect design for your church exists. So like the family, so with the church, there's a perfect design and always flawed execution of the design. When there is flawed execution, 
Don't crinkle up your family or your church and chuck it. That's what many have done. Instead, when there's flawed execution, which there will be, return to the perfect design. Make sense? So, in our home, again, you're doing an art project. You don't just get to crinkle it up. Straighten that paper out. Flatten that thing out. Let's try it again. But it's got eraser marks on it. Cool. It adds character. Like, we all have eraser marks. That crinkled paper is just, it's just a, a reminder. You have so many inputs that are kind of, you have the temptation to idolize me and say, wow, nine kids, da, 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 da. nonsense. I brought my kids here to keep me in check and make sure what I'm saying is true. If you see them laughing hysterically at a part that doesn't seem funny or rolling their eyes beyond teenage angst, then you ought to question, like, what's this guy talking about? There are no perfect families. So I want to get really specific on how God loves us first uh, and so that we can love in the way that, that he loves. Um, I want you to think about this. Parent in the way that you are being parented by God. Parent in the way you're being parented by God. That will actually keep you checking in regularly. How am I being parented by God? Where are the fences set up for me and where is there freedom within that? to play and create and explore and grow. Some of you here are um, maybe thinking this, with all that's sort of flowing in directions that are away from God, away from good, what assurances do I have that my kids won't be swept away in all of that? How do I know that they'll be kept safe? Here's the answer. Bottom line, you can't. And if that sounds really blunt, again, I just want to be really truthful with you. You can't. Those things are way beyond your control. But you can be strategic with your time, with your energy, with your focus for their well-being. And what I want to do today is this. I want to give you um, a couple of things. Well, first, let me, let me, let's go back to our, our parenting drawing. Go back to these. Okay, so we won't take time to kind of, you know, pull kind of where you guys are at, but everyone has sort of a mental image of sort of where they're at right now. Let me give you one more. If you're a parent, all of you will get to this place at some point in your life. Here it is, okay? You'll be trying to lift something that is too heavy for you. And you say, are those little moisture marks, are those tears or is that sweat? The answer is, it depends on the day. My, my wife's love language, like, you know, was something at one point. And then at one point on some number of kids, she said, you know, my love language is just get in here and help me do chores. That's it. Whatever love language it is where you're doing dishes and sweeping and just doing anything that can help, that's my new love language. And it really hasn't changed. That's all I do to love my wife. Not really. But it's a lot. It's just so much, right? And when you get to something uh, where you, it feels too heavy to lift or to move, we look for this. We look for leverage, right? All of us do this. Leverage is an advantage, a strength. There's, there's pull to it. So at any stage or age that you are at right now, let me give you sort of two key areas to pour your energy into, and it'll, it'll go uh, a long way. So here's number one. Go after the heart. As a parent, from day one, the earlier you begin with this, the better. If you're getting this brand new today, start today. Go after the heart. Your temptation, parent, 
will be to go after external in favor of the internal. Behavior over the belief behind the behavior. And here's the reason. The reason is as simple as a Twinkie. Twinkies are like crazy satisfying in the moment, although I've lost my taste for Twinkies. I have to really change this up. But imagine you love Twinkies. In the moment, you're like, ah, I know this thing isn't good for me. But in the moment, for a short season, that's really rewarding. Getting your kid to behave externally, just do what you want them to do, gets you places quicker, makes it easier and more expedient for you, the parent, but it's a Twinkie. It's short term. It's neither um, long lasting, by the way, it's not effective in the long run, and it's not biblical. If the kid's really good at keeping rules, they become self-righteous. They become self-righteous performers. And they actually have a hard time learning grace on the later ends of their life. If they're really terrible at keeping rules and they have impulse control problems, you know what happens? They turn to despair. Forget the rules. I stink at keeping rules. And so they just kind of go in one of two different directions. Prioritizing the heart is the way that God parents us. Think about Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene and he's being asked about which behavior, which external is most important. What are the most important rules, Jesus? What's his answer? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The only, ones that, the only one of those that's maybe external is, is strength, physical strength, sort of your body. But he's going after the heart. He points to the internal. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You've heard it said, but I say, you know what Jesus is doing with that? He's shattering the flimsy shell that right behavior is, and he's teasing out the belief behind the behavior. He's going after the inner. Just because you're keeping the outer rules doesn't mean that you're all good. So parents, keep going after the heart. Parents and kids both, guard your hearts. Parents, fight for the hearts of your kids. Look at Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Matthew 7. For from within, out of the heart of man, come all thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. In Luke, it says the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. So behind every one of your thoughts and actions today is a belief, is a heart, is an internal world to tend to, right? So be doing that, parents, with your kids. You want to see behavior change that lasts? Go after the heart. It's really hard work in different seasons to know the heart of your child, to draw out the heart of your child. I want you to think of a time when one thing was really about another thing. So for instance, an outburst of anger at eating mashed potatoes was actually about not making the team. And if you just address the mashed potatoes and the anger outburst and off to your room, you've just isolated that child from the very thing they need the most, which is a safe, loving place to process. I'm crushed. 
I didn't make it. I'd never make it. And all those wonderful moments of getting there to say, man, let me tell you what's true about you can be lost because you were going after a Twinkie. Go after the heart. Let me give you an example. A kid takes a toy. We never, ever have fights in our home. A kid takes a toy. The tempting thing is to come in and I want to just get justice. Who did what first? Da, 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 da. Okay, you get it. What you're doing with that is you're training your kids to be really quick with their, with their grab because they had it first, right? That's what gets rewarded in our home. Instead of taking the time to stop and explore, like what is the lie being believed? Your lie right now is that your happiness is in you getting this toy over your brother or sister getting the toy. I tell you, this is hard work. It takes the wisdom of God to go after this and stay on this. All right, let me keep moving. Here's the second one. Grow in communication. At any stage, of any age, grow in your communication. A father asked about, was asked about his communication. He said, oh, we, we talk okay. He said just the other night, he told me he wanted a bike and I told him to eat his beans. Sometimes it can feel like this. Parents tell kids what to do and kids tell parents what they want. And that's the extent of their conversation. Man, one of the things we work hard in our home is this, to dialogue with our kids and not monologue. To come in and say, hey, I want to hear from you. You're in Ephesians right now. I'm not sure where you are. It's not supernatural to tell kids to respect their parents. It is supernatural that kids are to honor their, uh, parents are to honor their kids and not provoke them and not treat them as underlings. So conversation, really listening to your kids. Proverbs 25 says this, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. A great gift you give to your kids is to articulate what's going on inside of you. What's happening inside of you? Let's name that. Let's discuss that. And so pursuing that is really good. You focus on understanding the nature of the struggle. What's the abundance in the heart right now that's leading you to, to head down this path? What was the temptation? Hey, think about your response. Well, let's brainstorm together. What are some different ways of handling that? What is the lie being believed? Is there an idol there that needs to be smashed? Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. First Thessalonians 5.14 says this, and we urge you brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Do you see that if you understand the nature of where your child is at, you can say, what's the apt word in this situation right here? What's going to build this child up? Is there instruction needed or does that need to be put on the back burner? I just need to come and comfort and encourage. Is there a truth that just needs to be spoken over this child? I'm a child of God. That's who you say I am. Man, that's so moving to come and sing that with you guys. That's right. That's who I am. <laughs> I just, I need to hear that every Sunday, every day. 
So there's all kinds of variety, encouragement and correction and rebuke and warning. All right, let me wrap up very quickly. These are sort of five very specific handles. And I want you to think about this. These are available to any one of you. In fact, they're actually available to any person around the world in any time frame, any part in history. Okay, here they are. Number one is God. To miss this one is uh, sort of to, to, to miss it all. It's easy to overlook it. Earlier in the text this morning is 1 John 4.16, an incredible sentence that I want you to sit with. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. We have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. There are times when you intellectually know, I know God loves me, he has to, God is love and all that. But you don't believe it. How do I know? Because your behaviors and your attitudes and your actions prove what's going on inside of you. You don't believe it. There are times you believe it, but it gets shaky because your emotions are all over the place and you don't really know it. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Over and over and over again, I need to sit with this truth. My name, David, means beloved. I sit almost every day before God and receive my identity as the beloved. It takes time and intentionality. Often involves silence. It most often involves the word. Sometimes it involves Phil Wickham singing in my ear. But I sit with that truth. Of all the principles I could possibly memorize today or give to you today, nothing will help me in my parenting or you in your parenting more than functioning from a healthy place of understanding your, your, your relationship to God, all that you already have in God. I got told on in prayer uh, when my now 11-year-old, who's here with us today, he was four years old. And it was Eli's version of, um, I need to speak to your supervisor, Dad. So here we are praying. And he went over my head. He prayed this, thanks God for the fun day, but I didn't really like the length of the hike. And frankly, like more water would have been nice. This is prayer time. Now I have to be honest, I was a little bit hurt and I was about ready to like plead my case before the judge. But I came to realize something. This, this is exactly right. This is the one that I want my four-year-old at the time running to with his problems. God is the one who can handle it when poor leaders are in my son's life. God is the one responsible for this dad. And God's the one that can do something about it. So I learned something early on. I thought, man, this is exactly what I want my child doing. I want to connect my child to God who will never abandon him, never fail him, always be there for him. So it was a really great thing to be told on by my son. Here's number two is your spouse. I recognize some of you don't have a spouse in your parenting. But as an act of worship, if you are married, keep working on your marriage. Some of the best parenting work you could ever do is to keep that relationship healthy, good, and vibrant. Tending to things, not letting the sun go down in your anger, all the instructions that the Bible has for us. 
You leverage the teamwork that God has provided as a mom and a dad. If you're not married, if you have a healthy, strong marriage, look for families to surround, to wrap. Find ways to ease. Yes, start with prayer, but begin to meet needs. Number three is your family. Kids need people more than stuff, so invest in your family. I recognize that like my family, you have some family that's not very God-honoring. It takes a lot of wisdom. God, I want my children to know their family and be surrounded by family, uh, but it can be really challenging. I want you to know that God can work even in your corrupt family. I went down to Mexico for about six weeks one summer. I have family down there, and my grandpa was a priest, an Episcopalian priest. And for about five or six Sundays, I watched him put on a robe, do a whole bunch of formal things, and then take off the robe. And it was exactly as if he put on religious stuff for an hour and 15 minutes once a week, and it had no bearing on the rest of the week. And I compared that with my dad. And my dad lived his faith every single day of every single moment, and he was a Lockheed engineer. He never put on a robe. He never did religious type stuff. That stayed with me my whole life. So seeing family, even broken pictures of it, has a way of instilling in your heart. Band, if you can get ready, let me give you two more. Your church family. Leverage your church family. I think church families are actually even more important than your biological family because it lasts forever. Your spiritual siblings last forever. Acts 2 says that all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I could take a whole second service and regale you with stories just from our little community of how this has taken place in profound ways. I'm a daily living example of the body of Christ providing for us as a pastoral family to be here in the Silicon Valley. The last one I would say is specialist. What I mean by that is this. As a family shepherd, I want to lead my kids to green pastures, right? And what it means is that sometimes beyond my little green lawn in front of my house, it's not really green, it's dirty and brown and gross because of the drought. Um, But to lead my kids to green pastures means I have to go beyond my little front lawn. That means you grab youth leaders. That means you grab missionaries that are traveling through. Get them in front of your family and have a meal. That means my buddy who's a property management company owner, I can get my kids around them and say, hey, let this guy teach you about how to lead a business as a Christian. I can get around someone else who's phenomenal with money and say, hey, would you come pour into my kids in this way? You could find someone else who's amazing at drawing out the heart of, of, of teens and getting at what's really going on and befriend them and nurture them and have them come around and help your family. It takes some humility to say, we don't have all the gifts. Of course you don't. God's provided specialists for you, so look around for them. We close with one word, and that's this. Over and over and over again, the ministry of Jesus, the message of the saints in the early days was this, repent and be saved. Repent and be saved. Just means to turn around, right? Repent. So you're going in one direction. Repent and be saved. 
That means going this direction with you at the steering wheel, with you just doing the best you can, is actually leading to death. On a daily basis, this guy has to repent and be saved. God, search my hearts and my motives with my spouse. God, right now in front of a group of people, uh, my prayer for you has been a deep supernatural love. God, give me a love for the people of current SV. That's been my prayer this week. Over and over and over again, as a spouse, as a child of God, as a Christian, as a dad, much is at stake. Repent and be saved. I would just call you, church. Repent in the areas you need to repent and be saved. Let that go way beyond your salvation to your ongoing sanctification, your growing in holiness. Let me pray with you. God, thank you so much for discipling us, for parenting us. And God, I thank you for the absolute gift. It actually says that children are a reward from you. God, the reward that it is to have children. God, I pray over these marriages, these families, these children, these parents, God, young people who are hoping one day to establish a marriage, a family that is honoring to you, that is walking in your path. God, we're desperate for you. We need you. Help us to parent and be married out of a place of health with you. Amen.